Hello, and welcome to the Weird Wiltshire podcast with me, Will Shire. This is episode three, a selection box episode, which basically means I didn't have as much time as usual, so I've thrown together some content and mushed it all together into an episode for you, lovely people to enjoy. Unfortunately, having a wife and kids eats into your free time too much once in a while, Um, but I'm happy with the result of this episode, so hopefully you'll still enjoy it. I have some stuff to share with you this week. Um, Firstly, it's been pointed out to me that I made a few errors in last week's episode, so you have my apologies. Um, I'm just going to go through those corrections quickly. So correction one, the Donovan Van Lille Facebook page only has 349 members, not 21,000 plus. How I got that so wrong, I will never know, but I am sure I read it somewhere. Um, correction number two, Victoria Van Lille's second statement was not read out in court. It was published in the Wiltshire Gazette and Herald. Um, second thing to share, I've reached my first 100 downloads. I've been amazed just how many people have actually listened to the show, so thank you very much. Uh, Also, I have my first listener submission, which will come later on in the show. As always, if you have had an experience that you would like to share with me, then you can. Uh, I will read out every submission I receive. Um, You can send it to me at weirdwilcherpodcast at gmail.com. That's weirdwilcherpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can message either of my social media pages. Links in the show description if you want to give me a follow or a like. Another first to add to the collection is my first review, which is, yes, yes, yes. Truth be told, I haven't even heard of Wiltshire before hearing this podcast, but now I'm hooked. We need more episodes of this fantastic and weird journey. Just subscribed. Keep up the great work. And that was from Nicolex23, who, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the hosts of a podcast called Talk Murder to Me. So be sure to check them out if you like true crime. Just one last thing. I also recently had a shout out on another podcast called We Need to Talk About Ghosts. The host is a chap called Kev Eustace, who's a funny Liverpudlian. So a shout out to him. I highly recommend his podcast. He mixes comedy in with his storytelling and he even has some of the Beatles on with him, if you can believe that. Anyway, enough about me. Let's dig into this episode. So tonight's show consists of a few smaller events around Wiltshire that I can't find enough on to do a full standalone show. So here's the first. This story begins in 1973, the same year as the film The Exorcist made its way to the big screen, and in an era where there were lots of high-profile stories about hauntings, For example, this took place just four years before the infamous Enfield Poltergeist case, 
This case takes place at a house in Westbury Road, Swindon, which Dave and Cheryl Pellymounter and their three-year-old son Alan called home. It would have been the perfect family home for them if it wasn't for the sinister goings-on they were experiencing. It all started with Alan's dummy, or pacifier for any Americans listening. She would often go out to get it to find it had disappeared. After looking in his cot to see if there was a dummy in there, and finding that there wasn't, she would search all over the house only to return to the kitchen to find the dummy in the steriliser where she had left it. Cheryl ended up buying three or four dummies just so that she could have them spare. Another time, Dave had gotten Alan out of his cot and placed his dummy on a chest of drawers in Alan's room. He took Alan downstairs, but Cheryl sent Dave back up to fetch the dummy. Upon returning to the bedroom, the dummy was no longer on the chest of drawers where he had left it. He searched Alan's bedroom to no avail. Dave went downstairs to the kitchen where, to his surprise, he found that the dummy had been put into the steriliser. This is sounding more like a handy poltergeist at the moment, isn't it? I wonder if it helped with the vacuuming as well. The couple experienced a feeling of being watched whenever they were in the kitchen, and Cheryl frequently would be cooking a meal in the oven, only to return to check it was cooking and find that the oven had been turned off, which apparently caused a few arguments between Cheryl and Dave. Yeah, I can imagine it did, really. Uh, Tensions run high when people are hangry. For anyone that doesn't know what hangry means, it's a word used to describe a person who becomes irritable due to being hungry. Cheryl also once experienced the door handle to the kitchen being turned by something one evening as she was cooking Dave's tea ready for his return home from work. She said when the door started to open, she ran over to it and slammed it shut. She then stood with her back up against the door until Dave arrived home from work, who found her against the door sobbing. After this, Cheryl didn't want Dave to go to work, but as the breadwinner, obviously he had to. So Cheryl started to leave the house at 8am when Dave left for work and wouldn't return until 5pm when Dave got home from work. She didn't want to be in the house alone. Most of the experiences were limited to the ground floor of the house. The couple described how the hallway was a particular hotspot and that they would hear whispering and rustling noises as if someone was walking along the hallway. Their son Alan was too scared to go into the hallway and would stand in the doorway crying instead. The couple then decided it was time to call in the big guns. The local vicar called Father Walker put them in touch with a canon harmer from the local diocese to conduct an exorcism. In the video I watched on this, there was a clip in which uh, Dave advised his wife to go and see the doctor before they called in the church. Uh, And I won't lie, this really made me laugh, only because he had experienced things in the house as well by this point. Um, but it seemed as soon as his wife said, look, we've got a problem here, he sends her off to go get checked out to see if she's crazy. And that just tickled me. Um, So during the exorcism, Dave described how the temperature in the house dropped considerably. And then when Canon Harmer had completed the exorcism, it went back to normal. After the exorcism was completed, all the activity in the house stopped. Keeping with the poltergeist theme... Seven years later, in 1980, a house in Malksham Close in Swindon, which is literally five minutes from the Pellymounter's home, was the victim of another, or maybe the very same, poltergeist. So this is the story of Perry Boyce and his girlfriend Donna, 
uh, and their three-week-old baby, Emma. The family were said to have been terrified pretty much from the day they moved into the house. Perry woke up one night soon after they moved in and heard their pet dog downstairs, quote, howling for dear life. He also heard the door banging loudly as if someone was attempting to gain entry to the property. The next day, they found the attic door open, the pantry door had been ripped open, and the bolts on the back door had broken. So this means that Perry woke up in the night, heard his dog sounding like it was dying, and heard a load of banging, like someone was trying to break in, and he's gone, I'm good thanks, I'll just go back to sleep and hope it all blows over. Imagine that. The only two possible outcomes in that scenario is that it's either a ghost or you're going to be murdered. And he just casually goes back to sleep. The family eventually fled the property, but in the days leading up to them leaving, a friend of theirs called Diane Farrow stayed with the family. While she was there, she witnessed the following. She said, Donna and I were making coffee in the kitchen when the door started to rattle as though someone were trying to get in. We didn't stop to see, we just ran out of the kitchen as fast as we could. After this event, they decided that the safest and probably least terrifying sleeping arrangements would be for everyone to sleep in the living room. Though they were soon proven wrong. The lights sprung to life and started flashing on and off and a cassette recorder began to levitate before being hurled 10 feet across the room towards baby Emma's cot by an unseen entity. The family then fled to a relative's house. They reported all of the activity to Swindon Council, who owned the house, and after some investigating, they agreed to pay for an exorcism to be carried out, and they rehoused the family. A few days after this story made the local newspapers, the previous tenant of the house came forward and said that he and his family never experienced anything untoward in the house, but explained that his children were now being taunted by other children at their school. The exorcism must have worked, though, as there doesn't appear to be any more reports after this. You know, funnily enough, I recently purchased a boomerang from a poltergeist. That'll come back to haunt me. (laughs) Terrible, I know, but I found it funny and it's relevant to the story. So I thought I'd share it. This next one takes place in Savanak Forest. The Royal Forest of Savanac lies close to the historic market town of Marlborough. It covers some 4,500 acres and is one of England's oldest woodland, believed to be more than a thousand years old. The earliest records of the forest can be traced back to Saxon times. In the 16th century, a branch of the Seymour family living at Wolfhall near Burbage had as its warden of Savanac Forest, Sir John Seymour. Sir John's daughter, Jane, was later to marry King Henry VIII, his third wife. It was not unusual for Henry to visit Savanac and indulge in his passion for deer hunting. It was during one of these visits with the Seymour family that his attraction for Jane blossomed. Savanac has many ghost sightings, but probably the most common are those of a headless horsewoman. This terrifying apparition is sat astride a huge white horse which gallops at breakneck speed along the Grand Avenue, which runs through the centre of the forest. The story behind this haunting is one of gruesome tragedy. During a hunt, the unfortunate woman's horse took flight and bolted into thick woodland, whereupon horse and rider parted company 
at a point where a low-forked branch interrupted their passage. A branch, I may add, which took off her head with the greatest of ease. Some have suggested that this is the ghost of Jane Seymour, though I think it's safe to say that it isn't, due to the fact that Jane Seymour was one of the lucky ones to have kept her head. A family from Reading was visiting the forest in 1968 and was enjoying a peaceful afternoon stroll when suddenly they were startled by the sound of a galloping horse. The sound of hooves seemed to be all around us, one of the party later recalled. During this frightening encounter, another member of the party glimpsed a shadowy form of a horse and rider as it passed through the trees at terrific speed. In 2002, a group of walkers were strolling along the Grand Avenue when they became aware of the sound of a horse approaching. The thunderous sound engulfed us, then faded away into the distance, though on this occasion nothing was seen. There have been many sightings of so-called woodland spirits at Savanac. These spectral wraiths are said to dart amongst the ancient trees, especially at dusk, often described as shadowy animated figures, some human in appearance but mainly animal. One such animal is said to be that of a magnificent white stag which will suddenly appear before a startled audience, only to disappear as swiftly as it arrived. I am not surprised to hear that Savanac harbours so many animal ghosts, especially when you bear in mind its medieval hunting heritage. I've been to Savanac Forest many times, as it's only about a 20 minute drive from my home. I've never had an experience there, however I will say that on more than one occasion I have felt like I've been being watched uh, but obviously that could just be attributed to the fact that it's a forest and the perfect setting for fear okay so i've got another joke why was the headless horsewoman depressed because she could never seem to get ahead in life so this next story uh, isn't technically in wiltshire but it's close enough uh, it takes place in Bristol in the 1780s, and it's about a man called George Lukins. Now, George Lukins was a tailor who lived in the village of Yatton in Somerset. He was known to be a good, honest man who attended church regularly and took the sacraments. He was liked and respected by his fellow villagers as a fine and upstanding member of the community. However, in 1780, things began to change. George started to complain of a supernatural presence around him, which would, at times, assault him by slapping him in the face. Initially, his fellow villagers were sceptical of his claims, believing perhaps that George had secretly discovered a love of cheap gin. However, the scepticism melted away quickly when George was lifted from his feet and thrown backwards several metres during a Christmas pageant at his local church. After a while... George started to suffer regular fits and his character began to change sporadically. He would suffer flashes of rage during which he would often shriek and howl like an animal. He was soon put under the care of a group of eminent physicians and remanded in the custody of a local hospital. During his time there, he continued to suffer his fits, but the doctors were unable to diagnose the problem. After 28 days under the care of the General Hospital in Bristol, George Lukins was deemed incurable. George's neighbours now firmly believed he was possessed. George himself had claimed during his time in hospital that he was possessed by seven demons 
and that seven clergymen would be required to exorcise these evil spirits from his body. He began to behave in an increasingly bizarre way. He would recite songs backwards, bark like a dog, sing like a bird, and occasionally speak in foreign languages. Luckily for George, a woman named Sarah Barber was passing through his village and became aware of his story after a frightening encounter. Convinced George was possessed, she sent for the vicar of Temple Church in Bristol, the Reverend Joseph Easterbrook. Unsure how to respond to the possession, the Reverend wrote to a number of prominent clergymen to ask for assistance. Many agreed to pray for George Lukins, but an exorcism was not convened. It took George's story being reported in the Bristol Gazette for action to be taken by the church. Reverend Easterbrook assembled a group of seven clergymen and took George to Temple Church in Bristol. They imprisoned him in the vestry and performed an exorcism that lasted for several hours. Reverend Easterbrook later claimed that during the exorcism, the seven clergymen were confronted one by one by the seven demons, each of which were eventually successfully cast back into hell. By the end of the exorcism, George Lukens had recovered fully and was giving thanks to Jesus. He returned to a quiet, normal life. It's joke time again. Why do demons and ghouls get on so well? Because demons are a ghoul's best friend. So this week I have received a submission from a listener. His name is Joey. And Joey has sent in a submission of the musical variety. Um, so here it is. Joey is a beautiful man with a beautiful voice. Thank you very much, Joey. I really enjoyed that. Maybe I'll uh, I'll use it as my outro. Uh, as I said at the start of the show, I have received my first listener submission. Well, the time has come for you lot to hear it, so let's get to it. My granddad had recently died and my grandma invited me up to Scotland for a weekend as she had some money for me that my granddad had left behind. He was great with money so he would have been turning in his grave at my grandma giving all this money out to everyone. 
I took my mate Billy, and when I got there, we met my brother, and he took us to my grandma's. But first we dropped into the shop round the corner for a couple of cans. We were 15 at the time. We got to my grandma's and sat talking to her for a while. When it got to 10pm, my grandma went to bed. We were sleeping on the floor in the living room. And as she'd gone to bed, we crack a can open and start watching a film. It was called The Hitchhiker, if I remember correctly. We turned the lights off and by the end of the film, we turned the TV off and decided to go to sleep. My grandma had a leather chair with a bit of material on the arm that she used for resting her arm on. My mate Billy was nearest to the armchair and within five minutes that bit of material flew over and landed on my face. I said, what are you doing Billy, you knobhead? He said, what? I said, chucking that at me. He swore blind he didn't, but I didn't believe him. Five to ten minutes later, I heard a noise from the kitchen. It's only a really small council bungalow, so you can see into the kitchen from the living room. We both said to each other, what the fuck was that? We look into the kitchen and we can see the silhouette of a man sat on the kitchen side. By this point, we are both fucking shitting ourselves. We didn't dare move and through the night we saw different things, including another silhouette of someone stood outside in the back garden and lots of freaky noise through the night. My grandma had a tiger teddy on top of the sofa and loads of ornaments on a coffee table. So I finally plucked up the courage to turn the lights on at around 5am and saw the tiger upside down. By this point we both freaked out. I jumped back down and into the covers then I looked in front of me and every single ornament was upside down too. So I rang my mum, proper shitting myself, and she told me to wake my grandma up. But at this point I thought she'd died and was haunting us. Oh dear. <laughs> anyway, my grandma woke up at around seven and came in and said, Morning, did you sleep okay? I said, no, ghosts. She said, toast? She's as deaf as a post. After repeating ghost a few times, she finally heard me and said, Oh yeah, I've seen many in front of me at night. She slept in the living room ever since my granddad died. My grandma said she had seen an old woman right in her face when she woke up on the settee one night. I said, what did you do? She said, I told the old bitch to fuck off. Anyway, she'd gave me £400 on that night to go into town the next day. We were both knackered but still went into town. I bought a pair of trainers and some guy approached us and wouldn't leave us alone. He ended up holding a knife to me and taking all my money. I think all that happened in the night before was a warning from my granddad. When I went back home I told my dad about what had happened and my dad told me he had witnessed something similar. My grandma doesn't live there anymore and I keep thinking about sending them a letter or contacting them to see if they are seeing things there as well. That was from Rory in Doncaster. Thank you for your submission, Rory. Well, Rory, that's a pretty terrifying story. I like the idea of it being a warning from your recently deceased grandfather. I think we all hope that our loved ones will continue to look out for us after they have passed. It's particularly interesting, the description of silhouettes. Uh, something like that is usually attributed to shadow people, which are equally, if not more, terrifying than ghosts though they are usually reported with having glowing eyes. 
Either way, if I could have even half the balls that your grandmother has to be able to tell an old lady ghost to fuck off, I would feel absolutely invincible. Also, if you do decide to get in contact with the new tenants, I would be very much interested in hearing if they have also been having experiences. So keep me updated. The next few stories I found whilst looking at the forums of Mumsnet, which I'll admit is the last place I expected to find such epic stories, Um, So I've credited the users at the end of each story. When I was nine in the early 80s, I was standing outside our house batting a ball against the wall. It was one of those perfect days, weather beautiful, had a fantastic day in the swimming pool with friends. I vividly remember closing my eyes tightly and saying, remember how this feels, remember this day, remember how happy you are. And then a car horn beeped. I looked over at this woman who was just staring. I ran back into the house, freaked out. So about three years ago, when I was 39, we were driving to see an old school friend. My husband had never seen the house we grew up in, so we did a mini diversion to drive past my old family home. We drove over to the top of the hill and took a couple of photos from the car. I saw a little girl, about the same age as my youngest at the time, nine, playing ball on the side of the road. The girl walked back to the house and started batting a ball against the wall. And I got this weird deja vu. The belted navy coat, the clumpy pants, the shoes. She looked exactly like I did. And then I just had the realisation that she was me. I then dismissed the idea as ridiculous and told my husband. He laughed and told me to get out and have a closer look, but I just knew I couldn't talk to her. I stared for a bit and then drove off. It was a very weird experience. And that was from user Michi Moo. That's a very weird story, uh, but it's epically fascinating. Um, It really reminds me of the girl from the haunting of Hill House if you know what I mean. Sorry if you haven't watched it yet. Uh, But yeah, spooky. When I used to live in Edinburgh, I worked in a shop on the Royal Mile. There were several layers of basement rooms underneath the shop, which were used as stock rooms. My manager sent me down to get some stock from basement number two, which was one floor down from the stock room we used most often. All very normal, strip lighting, cheesy bagpipe music playing. I am a very practical person and totally not a believer in ghosts. I got down to the basement and started getting the items we needed and suddenly felt this very, very strong sense of anger and a voice in my head telling me to get out now. I legged it up the stairs as fast as possible, having dropped everything I came for and must have been white as a sheet because my manager took me to her office and asked me what had happened. I was new in the job and new in town, so I was very embarrassed at sounding like such a crazy lady. But I told her. She said, it's okay, that basement is on the same level as the old alleys, where they walled people with the plague in to die. Apparently they had sent me down, because none of the longer serving staff would go down there, as they had all had the same experience. The only person who would willingly go down 
was the caretaker who was a devout Catholic and prayed all the way down the stairs and back again for their unquiet souls. And that was from user Ocelot41. Hold on to your seat for this next one because it gives me goosebumps every time I read it. I was pet sitting for my friend several years ago. She had moved into a sort of small holding right on the edge of a village in the southwest with a huge garden that backed onto trees. At the time, she had a right menagerie. Chickens, ducks, a couple of Shetlands, cats and four black retrievers, three fully grown and one a half grown puppy. Originally, my husband was going to come with me as a little holiday, but the dates she ended up having to go away for work clashed with a couple of his medical appointments, so he stayed at home with our dog and I went to pet sit alone. I was about halfway through my stay. It was late evening, already dark, when I heard a massive commotion from the chicken shed, banging and thumping. I assumed a fox or something had got in, so went out to check. As I was halfway across the garden, the noise stopped instantly as if it had been shut off. By the time I got to the shed, all was calm and the chickens were all settled, mostly asleep. No sign of any intruder or disturbance at all. Nothing to explain the noise or any indication that the chickens had made a noise. It was a bit freaky, but I didn't, and still don't, know much about the way of chicken, so I locked up again and left them to it. As I went back in the house, a small black shape ran past me out of the back door, and I realised that the puppy must have got out. It streaked across the garden and off towards the woods. Q much cursing, then calling her name in vain. More cursing when she didn't come back. I grabbed a torch and put one of the other dogs on the lead, partly for protection, partly because I thought the pup was more likely to come back if I had one of her canine companions with me, and partly because I didn't fancy my chances of finding my way back to the house on my own, even though there were a couple of vague paths that I'd followed when walking the dogs throughout the week. Off we trudged into the wood along one of these paths, me calling pup's name at intervals and trying not to imagine murderers and rapists behind every tree trunk. We got to a point where it felt like the trees were starting to thin out and I remember thinking that I didn't remember a clearing on this path and we must have gone wrong somewhere when the dog that was with me slowed right down and started to resist going forward. I tried to jolly her along while my stomach suddenly dropped like a stone. She started growling, a really low, serious, rumbling growl. By this time, I was practically shitting myself. I tried shining the torch ahead, but the beam just sort of bounced back off the darkness, if that makes sense. I got the sense of something, or some things, moving but just sinuous, deeper black shapes against the blackness, and always on the periphery of vision. The hairs on my arm are standing up again just remembering how completely and utterly terrified I was. I have honestly never known a feeling like it. At this point, the dog sank right down, still growling, hackles up and refused to budge. I muttered something like, Jesus, you have got to be kidding me. And this ugly, gurgling, inhuman sort of voice hissed 
right up close as if someone was right next to me. Don't say that name. At the time, there was a horrible snickering sort of laugh. <laughs> I can't express how utterly petrified I was. I can't remember having any coherent thoughts apart from the word evil. That's the only clear thing I can remember. Me and the dog were frozen to the spot with pure fear. Then a different voice, really commanding, said, Go back. That sounded more in my head, but echoey, where the others had sounded like they had come from someone or something. Wherever it came from, it did the trick. Me and the dog turned and bouted back through the woods. She basically towed me. I just clung onto her lead, stumbling to keep up and sobbing with fear. I lost the torch somewhere on that wild run, but there was no way I was stopping to find it. How I didn't run blindly into a tree, I'll never know. She guided me, I guess. I can remember thinking desperately that I mustn't let go of her lead or they would get me. When we got back to the garden, she suddenly stopped. I did fall over her this time onto my hands and knees, turned around and started snarling, proper teeth bared, rabid looking snarls, back at the trees and the darkness. I thought I heard the snickering again, but the blood was pounding in my ears so hard I can't be sure. I scrambled up and ran to the back door, and she followed me, but backing and snarling all the way as if holding something at bay. Oh, and the chicken shed was banging and thumping again. I got the back door open, me and her belted in, I slammed home every bolt behind us. The other dogs left behind were staring at the door and growling too with their hackles up, and when I saw all three of them, puppy included, acting like that, I started to cry properly because I honestly thought I was trapped in some horror film nightmare and was going to die. I don't know, I still don't know, what the black shape was that ran past me out of the house and triggered all of this because the puppy was right there in the kitchen. Anyway, I made sure every door and window was locked and bolted. I turned on every light in the house. I wandered round mumbling all sorts of weird half-religious, half-spiritual shit to ward off evil spirits. Gradually, the dog settled down and stopped growling and eventually stopped glancing at the door. Funnily enough, I didn't sleep for one second that night and I rang my husband and begged him to come over for the last couple of days. I know I didn't dream it because I was covered in scratches from running through the woods and had grazed hands from where I fell over the dog in the garden. Nothing like that has ever happened before or since, and I hope it never ever does. It was the single most horrible, terrifying experience of my entire life. Now this one I couldn't find a username for because this was copied and pasted from another thread that had since been deleted. Um, but either way, wow, I am never going into the woods ever again. So many elements to this story. It, it sounds like one of the voices was obviously a dark entity, probably a demon, uh, and the voice in her head, uh, I don't know, but it's certainly an interesting story. Well, that concludes this episode. If you liked the show, please consider liking my social media pages. As always, the links are in the show description. Also, if you're feeling extra awesome, please leave a review wherever you listen to the show.
I'll hopefully be back to the standard show format from next week, unless of course you prefer this style of show, in which case I will do it more often. Let me know if this is the case and I'll make it happen. Thank you for listening. This has been the Weird Wiltshire podcast and I have been Will Shire. Until next time. This episode has been written and researched by Will Shire. Intro and outro created and given for use by the legendary Coag Music. All content used is done so under fair use or Creative Commons licensing.